electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, the great crackdown continues. China turning up the heat again today on U.S.-listed Chinese stocks. How are traders are protecting their exposure to the regulatory route? Plus, Bitcoin breaking out, the cryptocurrency soaring back above that $40,000 level. We'll break down what is driving this big move. And we're watching shares of Intel in the after hours. The company's CEO kicking off a webcast right now with an update on the chipmaker's plans for the future. We'll break in with any big headlines here. But we start off with an earnings alert on Tesla. The stock is higher after posting a beat in its latest report. The company's call kicks off in less than 30 minutes from now. Let's get straight to Phil LeBeau with more. Phil. Melissa, this is the first quarter that Tesla's net income topped a billion dollars. The company easily beating the street on both the top and the bottom line. Its earnings per share, a buck 45. The street was expecting the company to earn 98 cents a share. Revenue coming in much better than expected. Not a surprise with the record deliveries that the company saw. $11.96 billion versus the estimate of $11.3 billion. That was in terms of revenue. But it's the outlook that's getting a lot of attention. Specifically, what's happening with the gigafactories outside of Berlin, Germany, as well as outside of Austin, Texas. And Tesla says Model Y production, not deliveries, but production will begin in Austin and Berlin this year. Then you've got Cybertruck production in Austin, which will start subsequent to the Model Y. They didn't say it would be next year. They didn't say it was definitely going to be this year, just that it's subsequent to the Model Y. And then you've got the Tesla semi-launch. That is definitely moving to next year. That will also be built at the Gigafactory in Austin. Remember, the company delivered 385,000 vehicles in the first half of this year. Some were expecting them to potentially talk about a full-year guidance in terms of deliveries. They have not said that so far in their release. Whether that comes up on the call in a few minutes remains to be seen. The estimate, the consensus on the street is for the company to deliver 861,000 vehicles. Two other notes. Automotive gross margins coming in at 25.8%. That is excluding the ZEV credits, the EV credits that uh, are sold to other automakers so that they can be in compliance with regulations. If you were to add in the uh, ZEV credits, their gross margins would top 28%. And finally, they're also going to be taking a $23 million Bitcoin impairment charge. So those are all the numbers within the numbers from Tesla. But again, uh, a, a significant day that this company is topped a billion dollars in net income for the first time in any quarter. And it's 10 times greater in terms of the net kin- income in the second quarter of this year than it was in the second quarter of last year. So you clearly see the growth here. Melissa? The commentary, Phil, about the liquidity and how they have sufficient liquidity to fund its uh, current product roadmap as well as expansion, I would imagine that would be sort of comforting to investors as well. They don't necessarily need to do a secondary in order to keep its operations going. Right. They don't need to do a secondary. And I think one of the other things that I think people will be focused on in this call, what's happening with the execution in China? In the the investor deck that was released, not a whole lot of commentary in terms of what's happening in China. And we've talked about this before, Melissa. There are reports that come out of China 
that are wildly different than what ultimately is coming out from the government in terms of vehicle deliveries, et cetera. So I think some commentary there is what people will be focused on uh, during the conference call. I'm sure the question will come up how much granularity they give us. Uh, that remains to be seen. All right, Phil, keep us posted. Thank you. Phil LeBeau in Chicago for us. Let's uh, trade Tesla, which is up by about 2% after hours. Dan Nathan, where do you go with this? Uh, Well, we go with their 50% of the global uh, auto market share. Um, It's $630 billion market cap. Um, They have probably 2% of global market share, right? And then they have, what, um, 11 12% of the EV market share. This is just not a considerable market share for that market cap. And I just think that all that competition is coming. And I know you guys have all heard that um, for a couple years. So I'll probably pass it off. You know, the stock's been going sideways. for the last month or so, and and, and people don't seem to be as excited as Phil LeBeau does about some of those numbers. You know, I I have to first start with the positives that I do think that this company, in terms of their their revenue mix and the growth and the profitability, these are all great. If you take away some of the the emissions credits, um, still better than expected. That gross margin, um, probably five full percentage points above where the street was. Uh, So let me fall into the Dan side that most people expect me on this. I mean, it's it's just simply about uh, the margins here don't reflect a tech company with this multiple. Um, the, 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 The revenue mix for lower price vehicles, especially in China, brought down the ASP 2%, and I think it's going to continue to be an issue. I think uh, if you think about the U.S. market or the global EV market, their, their current their current line of cars does not really address, I think, 75% of the, the, the affordability factor that I think. I'm not sure some of the other big competitors are able to do that yet either, but I still think that they're not really hitting the, the affordability factor to get a bigger share of, of this marketplace. So um, ultimately, to me, it is about a multiple. It is about growing competition. Um, and I think you know, they are now a big, global, complex enterprise, and, and they've showed that they've had a lot of trouble you know, being that. So I think the risk of getting bigger for them is that I think there's a little trouble. But the operational leverage in this quarter shows that they got more profitable as they got bigger. And it shows that they are actually able to execute as a global operational player, doesn't it, Guy? I mean, I feel like I'm compelled to be a little bit more optimistic about Tesla, given the two bears that I have here at the Nasdaq market site. Um, But where do you stand here? You know, isn't there something to be said for the first mover advantage to the premium, to the brand that it has, um, to the loyalty that it has with customers, and to the fact that it has basically stamped out a lot of the bear cases, pillars. Yeah, and I don't think, I mean, look, Tim and Dan can speak for themselves, obviously. I don't think they're bears as much as they are trying to point out the fact that, listen, they're doing a lot of great things, but at a certain point, valuation and, and market share matters. I think this is one of those quarters where, if you're a naysayer, you could point to the valuation and the fact that competition is catching up. And if you're a Tesla bull, you say, look, this is the most staggering quarter we've seen. And oh, by the way, they did it with 17 to 19 percent fewer tax credits uh, adding to the bottom line. There are a lot of good things here. I'll say this. Last quarter in April, I think the stock after my hours traded from 750 down to 725. And we pr- brought forth a new game this time tomorrow. And I said, this time tomorrow, Tesla will be a $750 stock, and a month later, it was trading 560 Now, here we are at 670 That path, past support or past resistance be, or past support becomes resistance. You know, I think this stock, to me, has got to get above 725 to have a meaningful rally. My inclination is it probably fails north of 700 All right. So, Karen, Tim was making an interesting point in terms of the competition. Do we actually... 
do we put it in the same category of competition as a General Motors? I mean, I understand that GV is upping its EV game and all that, but will it have a vehicle that will directly challenge Tesla's lineup? I don't know. We'll see what the Cadillac Lyric it looks like. That would be the one I would think. But um, obviously, you know, they are the first mover for sure. Then there's a lot of the other littler EV ones. But I mean, to me, it's very similar to Netflix in that there was a lot of bears about, you know, Netflix and and about could they ever make content that people would want to watch and you know, how could they ever grow their subscriber? And then they never make money and the balance sheet and all that and the valuation. And so this is similar to me that they they have, you know, been able to knock down a lot of the stories. For years, we talked about the financing and then they were able to do some converts and then they were actually starting to get cash flow. And so that part of the story is gone. And then there was the part about, well, they'll never be able to scale production. And that bare thesis sort of seems to be falling apart. The last one, the one that, that just makes me not able to be bullish is uh, the valuation. And that's it. And I think that similar Netflix, great company, continues to you know, put up good numbers. And yet at some point, the stock just goes sideways. Just the, the, you know, it's, it's a victim of its own success of valuation. And I don't know if that means we're here. This is gigantic numbers and Tesla's up 2%. So, so Karen's talking about even just the, the, the characteristics and the, or the character and the personality of the stock itself. Yeah. And that's also, look, that's been a lot of the story to talk about, too. So after that 40 percent drawdown, as other high multiple tech were also getting destroyed, um, the stock has almost had an amazing consolidation. And the performance after hours, the lack of volatility is almost extraordinary if you think about it. Maybe the bulls want to see more of an upside move. You can also make an argument that that, that, that uptrend from August of last year, which has had an extraordinary extraordinary move and some big downwards has been held and that the stock has consolidated and that uptrend is still intact. So um, interesting as high multiple tech has had a very big bid. Tesla over the last three months hasn't done much um, where, again, some of these high multiple stocks, because the Fed has stepped back, because I think we're we're in this place where that type of liquidity is being rewarded. So disappointing on that if you're a Tesla bull. But I think overall, the fact is that it's held that uptrend. Shouldn't we um, not be disappointed by the lack of a move? I mean, Tesla once upon a time would move 10% up or down easily oh, it's a, on it's earnings. A but, but right now, it's an S&P 500 company. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very different company mm-hmm. from what it was yeah, a year I, ago. It's funny. The options market was implying about a 6% move in either direction oh, really? tomorrow. And we'll see. I mean, it's up a couple percent right now. This is not the sort of post-market move on a, what looks like a really good quarter um, that you'd expect is going to catch some steam tomorrow and just kind of keep going higher. Everyone who owns Tesla owns Tesla. And I guess the point where I let off with that kind of market cap versus market share is I don't think the market share gets better. Even You know what I mean? Like right now, I'm just saying that you know they've gone from 30% EV market share um, in 2018 to about 11 or 12% right now. And all we know is that there are competitors coming. I know that was a a pillar of the bear case for years, but it's kind of here now. So is it that the market share, the total addressable market is not growing fast enough? Or, I mean, what is it about their market that they can't grow? I just think of this. All right, they've had some issues in China, okay? So if they never really get that fixed, they're going to have a huge problem. We know that in Europe, we know the Germans, they kind of dominate, and all of that is coming. Karen just mentioned this Cadillac. 
that. Ford has an F-150, the best-selling truck in America that's coming out as I an EV in a is... year from now. I, I'm, I'm saying, I have a Mustang Mach-E, uh, fully electric, you know? I mean, I didn't even consider getting a Tesla. So I, I just think that that's going to be a big it. story. Forget about it. <laughs> I, think that, I mean, if the Trans Am, you know, I would have done that, but uh, whatever. Um, but I guess my point is, is that there's a lot of things to choose from right now. Tim's point about the price point is really interesting. Even Tesla's low-end cars Well, that was what it was all supposed to be about. So, I mean, it's not that Tesla hasn't been focused on it. This has been part of their reason for being, I think, is to make that affordable mass market EV. Um, I think they're having trouble doing it. And and what I this is another way of talking about the valuation. I I just hate I hate the fact that this is a a tech company that doesn't really have that kind of, you know, that kind of growth. They have it in the multiple. They have it in those businesses that we still can't really quantify and talk about them as a tech company. But but obviously not as an automaker. All right. Let's get more reaction to Tesla's quarter with Fast Money friend and Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster. Gene, um, you've heard the panel. Uh, We know it's a good quarter. Tell me why Tesla should be valued where it is. Well, today it shouldn't. I think that the panel appropriately outlined the valuation concern. I share some of the the, uh, valuation concern. I do believe that ultimately this can be a much bigger company. And if you look at a six and a half multiple for a hardware service as an Apple type multiple on this, Today, off the revenue, it suggests it should be worth $450 billion. But if you uh, take their guidance today uh, for 50% growth, and I think this is an important piece to the conversation, and you go two years forward on that, you have a trillion-dollar company. And so to answer your question, uh, I think that this is uh, the definition of a a growth stock that needs to ultimately, that's probably a year ahead of itself, Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I think it's going to get there. And I would just point out a couple quick data points here is that the growth uh, in the quarter, 122 percent delivery growth off of an easy comp a year ago. The auto industry grew at 55 percent. So, of of course, competition is coming, but they seem to be bucking the trend separately on this margin. And Tim's point about, you know, the profitability, I absolutely agree. This company needs to prove that it is a tech like margin business. The margins this quarter, X credits, as Phil mentioned, was 25.8%. Last quarter was 22. They did that despite ASPs being down 2% and a higher component pricing environment. And so I think what you're seeing is they're not there yet. This, this uh, requires investors to look beyond the current year. But if you take the trends that they're having in margins and the demand piece and put those together, I think you can build a case that this can be a much bigger company, albeit a bumpy ride there. So I think that that point is really key, Gene, the part about they expect 50 percent average annual growth in vehicle deliveries um, over a multi-year horizon. That is a growth multiple. So basically, you think just the margins have to catch up and then you can back into the multiple they have today. Well, they uh, they need to continue to grow. So they have to right. deliver on that. They're doing that this year. But uh, ultimately, if they can do that for a couple of years and keep margins where they're at, I think that the I think investors will start to get comfortable. And this is the beautiful thing about uh, Tesla and having an opinion on it is uh, one camp, very smart camp, says competition is going to erode. Another camp, the camp that I'm in, says this is a large market and they can lose market share but continue to grow at 50 percent. And I think that the stock will be rewarded for that. What's your number one question for, I mean, if you could ask Elon Musk a question on the call, what would that be? So they just started selling FSD as uh, this is a full self-driving as a subscription. And it puzzles me that uh, why they still market it as full self-driving. And I would just ask that is that it doesn't it does a lot of things. It's better than any other car uh, manufacturer. But 
I think that they uh, need to kind of tighten some of the language around that for marketing purposes and then allow consumers to kind of get behind it for the stage that it's at today. We're still a few years away from autonomy, despite the language they have around FSD. And that subscription piece, just one final thought there, the reason why I start there is the top question, is that it has a massive, highly profitable revenue, and eventually 10 years from now, all cars will be full self-driving. And uh, they talk about margin expansion, they can get there in a hurry if they I- expand with this subscription service. Hey, hey Gina, it's Tim. So- FSD, yeah, maybe at some point, very high margin business. That could be a big part of the business. But what we're really talking about, and even Melissa alluded to the 50 percent uh, you know, growth, at least in terms of units. And then we talked about that the, 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 essentially the profitability of the core business is not that of a tech company. But we're still talking about an auto company. Even what you're talking about. I, how about the stuff that's been applied to this, this story for a long time around either you know, some of the data, some of the technology, and obviously the battery? That's the part that, to me, is where the bulls have really fallen and said, fallen back on all the time and said it's not really an auto company. So can you talk about that? Because all we're talking about today are the margins of an auto company. Well, first, they have to continue to show these margins and move them from 25, 26% into the mid 30s, mid uh, 40s over time. So uh, to answer your question is, I still think auto is a big piece to it. And uh, there are other pieces to it. You could talk about what they're doing in uh, energy capture and and energy storage and uh, potentially robo-taxi. There's these different things that you can bolt onto. But I'm just, uh, at least today, I'm taking a step back and just saying, uh, let's just focus on that auto business. And uh, this you, you bring a good point that, you know, should we give them credit for being a tech company? And the answer is today, no. But if they keep doing what they're doing right now, a year, two years from now, I think that more investors will, and that will move the multiple and the, the stock higher. All right, Gene, um, maybe we'll see you a little bit later on. Thanks so much, Gene Munster of Loop Thank Ventures. Um, Guy Dami, what would you ask Elon Musk if you could, about the quarter or about the is business? I would well. My question would be around China. Does the situation, you know, is what's been transpiring China over the last couple of weeks? Is it concerning? And you know, where's Tesla in terms of being in the crosshairs or not? Uh, as things seem to progress there, that would be one of the things that I would ask. I think that's important given their exposure. Yeah, Karen, does this make GM more valuable this quarter? Uh, that I, I don't know. We'll see. But that's a great question. I think that. The market share uh, issue, obviously, is huge. If Tesla maintains their market share or grows their market share at the expense of GM, then no, it doesn't. But I think the differential is so massive. It's so massive that if you get a tiny bit of the way there, GM is very undervalued. So I'm long GM. Coming up, the China crackdown continues. Big tech feeling the pressure as Beijing puts new names in the crosshairs. We'll break down how our traders are navigating this uncertainty. Plus, more on today's Bitcoin breakout, the cryptocurrency briefly soaring back above 40,000. We'll dive into the big move. You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market site in New York City's Times Square. Back right after this. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. 
With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Beijing expanding its crackdown on Chinese tech giants with Tencent now at the center of its latest campaign. Let's get to Yunus Yun in Beijing with the latest. China's regulatory clampdowns are intensifying in property, education and tech. Today, local media reported Beijing's new three-year drive to rein in property speculation would include limits on land purchases for property giants to under 40 percent of annual sales, including acquisition costs. In private education, China reiterated its concerns that after-school tutoring firms were, quote, hijacked by capital. Private education firms must now register as not-for-profit and can't tap stock markets or private investment for funding. And in tech, the Internet Ministry today launched a new six-month rectification campaign, especially for data security. Beijing tightened supervision of food delivery firms like Meituan to make sure delivery workers get at least the local minimum income. And antitrust regulators fined tech giant Tencent for a past takeover to create Tencent Music. Thank you, Eunice Yun in Beijing. The crackdown has certainly taken a toll on Chinese-based tech stocks. The K-Web China Internet ETF down more than 25 percent in July alone on pace for its worst month ever. Um, we've talked about the story in various iterations. We've talked about it a lot in relationship to Didi. I've asked, I think, Tim and Karen every single time, what do you do? At what point is a regulatory overhang too much? Tim, I'll ask you that question again tonight. It's becoming too much. And, and again, I, this, the bigger picture, we don't have enough time for this, is that um, she is turning into the dictator that he wasn't until he eradicated any challenge to his power. And, and at this point, they don't have to worry about the public markets. They care a lot more about social order. They care a lot more about the regulatory environment. Um, and so this has gone from anti-monopoly and anti-competition and, and ultimately to cyberspace. And now we're protecting delivery drivers. And but you know, we're making education affordable because we want people to have more kids. Or, yeah, I mean, so the point is you have as an investor to put some risk management into to into play. And over the last three weeks, I think I've probably on this show gotten increasingly more bearish. And, and some of this as an EM guy, I can't handicap this. And at some point, this went from reading tea leaves to going to a place where you've actually had um, you know, the news will get bad. So, 
you know, at, at 200 to 205, a breakthrough that key level. The next level is 175 to 185. And I think you have to have some risk management in place. And in fact, we started we started selling uh, a little bit here in, in some spots that I think, um, you know, it, it made some sense to take some risk off the table. I think there's some great opportunities in these companies long term, but you still haven't had downward revisions in earnings. You still haven't had big global long short funds, the Tiger Cub, whoever. I'm not saying that they own them. But guys that don't have to invest here don't have to be here, especially at a time when the rest of the tech world globally is booming. So, I mean, there's an opportunity cost and, and there's an arbitrary whim here. And I think that's we haven't even seen that in these stocks. Karen, it sounds like Tim is talking to you. What do you do? <laughs> Yeah, well, similar. Last time we spoke about this Thursday and you said, mm-hmm. you know, are you concerned? I said, yeah, I have to buy some puts or put spread, some sort of protection uh, or sell it. Right. I could do that. I chose to buy puts and put spreads to fully hedge positions. So now I either want it to go down a lot just for the psychological. All right, good. I have puts or up a lot to uh, recoup. But I think, you know, I agree with Tim that it's gone from. Uh, it, I don't even know how to say it. The, the level of uncertainty surrounding what the Chinese government will do ha- is obviously very, very, very high. I, my mistake was I thought when it wasn't the Ant Financial, um, it was when Alibaba paid the fine. I think it was about $4 billion. I don't remember exactly. And I really thought, all right, that's sort of the all clear for Alibaba and didn't fully uh, appreciate the how much it could suffer in in the event other industries being in the crosshairs and so i you know we'll see they have earnings on uh, early in, in august i don't know that that matters so much anymore i i'm not sure but um i feel like all right i know exactly how much i can lose exactly and i don't need to decide anymore mm-hmm. in or out here's my question i'll go to the emerging market specialist on the panel, and that would be Tim. Um, you know, for for e, if you own the ETF, yeah, EEM, yes. China is a big part of it, and so you see the drag down, and then you see people possibly liquidating. Are we going to see this sort of ETF impact worsening? The drawdown that we're seeing specifically in China. Yeah, to, to get to get EM right, you have to get China right. It's probably more than 43 percent of the EM. And and by the way, this is good news for Samsung and Taiwan Semi. Let's be clear: people who need big cap Chinese, uh, excuse me, Asian tech. These are great companies, and we see Taiwan Semi is the largest weighted you know, stock in the EEM. But very concerning. EM continues to make relative lows, 10-year lows, fresh lows relative to the S&P. Uh, when in February it was breaking out and it was actually near all-time highs. This was a a major reversal. Very frustrating. All right. Still ahead. Bitcoin breaking out today. Our own Bitcoin baller, BK, joins us next on what is behind this big move. And later, we're gearing up for Tech Super Tuesday. Just look at the big names reporting results tomorrow after the bell. We've got your setup when Fast Money returns. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. Bitcoin surging today with prices topping $40,000 for the first time in six weeks. The big moves comes amid a slew of crypto-related headlines, including reports that the DOJ is investigating executives at Tether for potential bank fraud. Let's get to Kate Rooney with the details. Kate. Hey, Melissa. Sentiment appears to be turning around in crypto markets with Bitcoin back above 40000 today. But it is losing some steam as Amazon denies reports that it's getting more serious about crypto. London-based paper City AM reporting that the tech giant plans to incorporate Bitcoin into payments by the end of this year. An Amazon spokesperson, though, telling CNBC, quote, notwithstanding our interest in the space, the speculation that has ensued around our specific plans for cryptocurrencies is not true. One other factor that had fueled the rally earlier in Bitcoin, some new data shows that more than $800 million in Bitcoin short positions were liquidated on Sunday night. And in other crypto news, some leverage may be coming out of these markets. Two of the world's largest crypto exchanges, FTX and Binance, announced that they were lowering their leverage, the leverage that users can trade with from more than 100 to 1 down to about 20 times. And the Justice Department, meanwhile, is reportedly investigating possible bank fraud by executives tied to the cryptocurrency Tether. That's according to Bloomberg News. CNBC's Deirdre Bosa asked Tether's general counsel about transparency in an interview last week and the chance of an audit. Just to follow up on the audit, to go back a tiny little bit, I know that you said you would be thrilled to be the first sort of crypto company and stablecoin to go through an audit. Do you have a date in mind? We don't at this time, no. But we are reaching back uh, a couple of years for the financial audit, and that is in process. Okay. Do you think that's years away, months away? Any months, clues? not years. Only months away. Yes, we think so. Tether, Tether has grown into the world's third largest cryptocurrency this year and sees more daily trading volume than Bitcoin and Ether. Melissa, back to you. Kate, thanks. Kate Rooney, let's bring in our own Bitcoin baller. Brian Kelly, he joins us on the Fast Line. Beeks, um, good to hear from you. It sounds like the short covering was a huge driver. It was, yeah. Great to be on. Big fan of the show, Melissa. Thanks for having me. Um, It was, it was, there was a lot of short covering going on. I know a lot of people talked about Amazon being the catalyst, but a lot of that Amazon news was out about a week ago. So what I think happened with this big move is you did have a significant amount of shorts and then you may have got a whiff of that Amazon news. You may have got a whiff of the Tether news. And all of a sudden, it created this big short squeeze uh, on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, when the market's a little more uh, or a little less liquid. So what do you, where do you think Bitcoin goes from here? I mean, do you, it was a bounce. It didn't hold 40. So, so now what? Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm, uh, you know, no, no surprise here. I'm still, still bullish on Bitcoin. I mean, the real game here is whether or not it is going to be adopted as an institutional asset. And I don't see anything that has changed my mind on that. And then the secondary part, which is the, the tailwind, is whether or not central banks and the Federal Reserve are going to tighten monetary policy or continuing printing. And by my score, I don't see how they cannot continue to print. Hey, BK, it's Karen. Let me ask you, we've been following this GBTC, the Bitcoin Trust, which went from a big discount to a very big premium just today. What what yep. was that all about? So that's probably the, to me, that's the biggest news that we've had in crypto uh, 
in the last week or so. And so what happened was J.P. Morgan announced that they're going to allow their financial advisors uh, to buy GBTC, and also uh, Osprey has a product very similar to that. And so what happens is, you know, this has been a drag on Bitcoin uh, because that that discount, when people were at first getting into it, they were trading at a premium. So they buy Bitcoin, they put it into the GBTC, and they wait six months and hope they get a bit of an arbitrage on that. When it's at a discount, nobody wants to do that. When it's at a premium, people will buy Bitcoin. So this creates demand for Bitcoin just on that arbitrage between spot Bitcoin and the price of GBTC. And if J.P. Morgan's financial advisors are successful, that'll create more flow into GBTC. Hey, Beeks, it's Dan. Um, so we call you the Bitcoin baller, but you're also an Ethereum enthusiast here. Talk to us about this range, man. <laughs> Over the last month, Ethereum topped out a month ago, basically, or a few weeks ago, where it topped out today. And it bottomed out. You see a double bottom here. Are we just stuck in a range here? We know there's a couple catalysts. Talk to us about those catalysts this summer and later on in the year. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually fairly bullish on Ethereum. The biggest thing that's happening to Ethereum is they're, they're, it's an upgrade. It's called EIP-1559 for those tech-savvy folks that want to look at it. But basically what it does is it switches the algorithm from a proof-of-work to a proof-of-stake. So it uses less electricity to mine. But the more important thing is they're actually changing their monetary policy. So uh, Ethereum actually could be a deflationary currency. And in terms of cryptocurrencies, deflationary in terms of cap supply is generally good for price. And so you've got everything in the world that is built on Ethereum, DeFi, NFTs, all of that, plus a new monetary policy coming up plus potentially tailwinds from just adoption of this as an asset class. And to me, that looks pretty good for Ethereum. BK, thanks for calling in. Yeah, my pleasure. Great to chat. <laughs> Ryan Kelly, our Bitcoin baller. Guy Dami, I'll go to you because we've seen Bitcoin take quite a tumble when we thought inflation was too hot, when we thought inflation was gone and we we're, sta- we're going to stagnate. I mean, what's your sort of take on, on its behavior? Yeah, it's interesting. Dan and I had an opportunity to talk to Michael Saylor today, and I was always of the belief that a weak dollar would be a benefit for Bitcoin. He's of the belief that both can actually go higher. He also thinks, and I'm I'm bringing him up because he's sort of the Maharaji of this entire thing, that there's just not a question of if, but when one of these big tech companies makes a big announcement in terms of their foray into crypto. So I'm with you. The fact that it you know, got up to 40 and seemingly sort of failed there. I mean, 24 hours is not a day make. And maybe we sort of meander around 35. But BK makes a lot of compelling arguments, as does Michael Saylor. So maybe the bottom was put in with that flush down to 28 a week or so ago. All right, coming up, we're watching shares of Intel in the after-hour session. The company's CEO is speaking right now. We'll bring you the details straight ahead. And we are all over the after-hours action shares of Tesla as the company's analyst call kicks off. We'll bring the latest from the conference call. Back in two. Tesla shares are up by about 2% in the after-hour session. Let's go back to Gene Munster, a fast money friend, founder of Loop Ventures, for an update on the call. We're nine minutes in. Gene, anything worth shattering? Uh, what's not earth-shattering is the call started late 
true to form, <laughs> Elon. He makes us all wait. So we're uh, a full 60 seconds into the call. I have, by the way, queued in for a, a question, and I'm changing my question. I'm going to ask what the impact of a $25,000 uh, vehicle, they've talked about this Model 2. Uh, we don't know what the timing on it is what impact that would be. So I'm anxiously awaiting for an entertaining uh, Tesla call. $25,000 Model 2. What could the margins be on a $25,000 car? Probably not very high, but if we kind of rewind back to our conversation with Tim mm -hmm. and the team earlier, this idea of really having a mainstream vehicle is critical. And so I think that they need to, to feather in some of these higher margin products. We talked about FSD and the subscription service. That's extremely high margin. So uh, to answer your question is that a $25,000 vehicle with FSD can, uh, from other products uh, can create, I think, these higher margins. I don't know if they'll hit that tech-like hurdle, that mystical kind of 40% uh, gross margin uh, vertical. So uh, the big picture is this, is uh, there's a lot of talk of competition, and eventually Tesla's going to have a $25,000 vehicle mm -hmm. that compares to kind of their starting point right now at about $35,000. Right. All right, Gene, I guess we're about, what, like 120 seconds into the call now. <laughs> Thank you. We are. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. there are any big headlines. Um, Tesla's up 2%. $25,000 car, that's kind of interesting. We think about a move potentially into fleet vehicles, Dan. Yeah, we were talking in the break. I mean, mm -hmm. th that was the kind of the rage. That was, I think, one of the main impetuses for autonomy. And we know that the fleets, um, you know, whether it be uh, ride hail or whatever, want to get there. But I think Tim said something interesting. He said, yeah, maybe we get there. I think, you know, like in 10 years, who knows? I mean, like, I think those timetables keep getting, getting pushed out. And I'm not sure exactly you want to pin your hopes at this valuation, at this market cap on that. And to your point, 25000 Well, they... They've had, they've had trouble with the Model 3, um, getting to those numbers. And, right. and yet, when that car was announced, that's what it was supposed to be, all right? So they were going after the mass market, and it's just, unfortunately, it's not there. So we'll see. All right. Coming up, the $6.5 trillion countdown, what to expect from Apple, Microsoft, and Alphabet when they report after the bell. Those trades and uh, the move in Intel shares, which is down by about 3% right now in the after session, we'll have the latest on that when we come right back. Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Intel. Shares are down about 3% after hours. John Fort's got the details. Hey, John. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, they just took a dive as they ended the presentation portion of uh, what they were doing. Now they're doing Q&A. That's on behind me. But here's what the news was. Uh, Intel saying that they're not as far behind as many think in their manufacturing and process technology, and they're offering new benchmarks for uh, manufacturing and a new nomenclature. So rather than simply going by nanometers, uh, right now they're in 10 nanometer, trying to transition to seven, they're going to call their next uh, process node Intel 7, even though it's technically not going to be 7 nanometer in the sense uh, that they were measuring before. They're saying it's going to be competitive with the industry's 7 nanometer from their Intel 4, 3, 20A, and then 18A, etc. Now, um, Intel making this argument that even others in the industry have said the nanometer uh, form wasn't working and wasn't apples to apples across different manufacturers. Intel also announced a couple of new technologies, RibbonFET and PowerVIA, that they say in a couple of years are going to clearly put them ahead of others. That'll ramp in 2024. And finally, people were wanting to hear customers for Intel's technology and foundry. They announced AWS 
the first customer for their IFS packaging and said Qualcomm's interested in that 20A node that they just talked about. I think investors probably wanted to hear more specifics than that. And that's when the stock really dropped uh, after hours when Pat Gelsinger was ending with that announcement. I'm going to go deeper on the technicals here and try to get a sense of whether Intel can pull this off, particularly because ASML is a key supplier to the whole industry. And some of this relies on their technology. Can Intel get the supply of their equipment in, in order to manufacture this, Melissa? All right. John, thanks for unpacking that for us. John Fort, the latest on Intel. Uh, shares are down 3%. Tim, I go to you. Well, I think, you know, there's two things. First of all, Pat Gelsinger was also talking about we're, we're now going to be ready to take on the world by 2025. And, and I, I, the argument is that we're faster, you know, we're farther along than you think. But and, and creating um, leadership in terms of trying to set trends on nomenclature and, and other things is great. Um, but they still remain very high, far behind. And in fact, Taiwan Semi and Samsung have been the great beneficiaries of that. Do you hold this um, and hope that by 2025 they're in, you know, That's some tough. sort of a lead? Well, it's a long, listen, it's a long they will time compete. Time. It is a long time. It's a cheap stock relative to some of its peers. And, I, and you, you know, Tim just mentioned Taiwan Semi. I mean, they're making chips for the whole planet right now. And it's interesting that the headline today is that Intel is going to be making chips for Qualcomm. Intel missed mobile. I mean, like, they missed mobile, so now they're going to make chips for their once big competitor, Qualcomm. It just yeah. seems kind of odd to me. And I don't like that change in nomenclature. It sounds like they don't, like, they're kind of moving the goalposts a little bit. There's so much been focused on 10 nano, 10 nano, 7 nano, because that's where AMD Let's is. Let's move away from that. Yeah. I, you know, to me, listen, I don't mean to be but an armchair. About that. I don't mean to be an armchair quarterback here. I'm just saying that the, over the last few days, not a lot of great news. There's really not much for investors here other than valuation and maybe a little hope over time. I mean, let's be clear. None of us here are chip experts. No. That's for sure. Fact. Guy, just quickly, favorite chip stock? Lays. Oh, <laughs> I thought you were talking about a different kind of chip. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, none of us are experts. We don't pretend to be, but we can break down numbers. And I thought we did a really good job last week. We mentioned that Data Center was great. We also mentioned the fact that, given the beat, the raise was ridiculously poor, and that's why the stock sold off. And we said, listen, you're not going to get killed here in Intel at 53, but you're not going to make a lot of money. I'll stand by that. It's AMD is eating their lunch, uh, as is Qualcomm to a certain extent. I think Qualcomm is equally cheap. And I think AMD is where you're going to get the growth. So, Listen, Intel at $53, you know, I don't think you're going to get killed. AMD and earnings tomorrow is going to be really interesting. All right. Still ahead, we are gearing up for a Super Tuesday. Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet all on deck with earnings tomorrow after the bell. We've got your setup into the reports when Fast Money returns. Welcome back. We're about to kick off a monster day of earnings. Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet all on deck to report tomorrow after the bell. Let's bring in Mike Coe with the setup on one of these titans. Mike. Yeah, so I was taking a look at Apple. Apple didn't trade well above average daily options volume, but that's partially because it trades so many options already. It represented nearly 4% of all the options traded in the United States today. And we saw calls outpacing puts by more than 2.7 to 1. Right now, the options market is implying that it could move higher or lower by about $6 or 4% of the current stock price. Although, of course, given its nearly $2.5 trillion market cap, that would represent a swing of about $100 billion. And the most active options were the weekly 155 strike calls. Over 112,000 of those traded for just under $1.10 apiece. Buyers of those calls are risking a little less than 1% of the stock price, making a bullish bet that the stock could rally through that 155 strike by more than the dollar that they paid. 
Karen, which uh, which earnings report are you looking at most closely? Well, Google's my biggest position, so I'll be looking most closely at that. But I got to tell you, I'm not optimistic about it trading well, just given, I mean, it's up 11 and change percent for the month and nothing's happened. So I'm just afraid all the good news, and there will be good news, is already priced in. I'm not going to sell it and try to trade around it and take tax, you know, realize gains and take pay taxes. But I feel like the bar is very, very high. Yeah, I mean, Twitter and Snap as a setup wasn't favorable for the for the later, um, you know, mm-hmm. ones like a Google guy. Uh, what's your what's your thoughts on Apple? It's Apple's going to crush. I mean, for me, it comes down to what percentage of revenues is basically services going to be is if it's north of 22 percent, it's one hundred and sixty dollar stock. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not guessing what it's going to be, but that's your bogey percentage of overall revenues for services. Do you see that acceleration of growth? Regardless, I think the stock probably continues to grind higher. Yeah, I would say that's really important because if you look at the next year and the year after that expected earnings and sales growth, they're like low single digits, 3%, trading about 28 times. So you better see their higher margin stuff growing and that trend's increasing. And that's not exactly what we saw. You remember it got down to about 16% just a couple years ago. So it reaccelerated. We may see that kind of plateau out a little bit. But the 5G refresh is going to be what investors will have a chance to underscore basically this installed base and, and why the services revenue still has plenty of runway. Apple's biggest issue is a 22% move in 35 trading sessions right. going into this number. Um, but it's still underperformed the S&P by 600 basis points this year. So you're not, you're not chasing it relative to the market. And that's good news. Mike, I know you highlighted Apple, but what are your thoughts on Microsoft? Yeah, so it's interesting you mentioned Microsoft because of the big five that are reporting this week. That was the only other name that today at least actually saw more bullish bets than bearish. And so Microsoft, we also are seeing, you know, modestly bullish bets going into earnings. The others, looking at Facebook, Amazon, so on, there the bets are a little bit more mixed in terms of who's making the bullish bets and the bearish bets, at least in terms of short dated options. Yeah. Guy, um, in terms of uh, which stock you think, which earnings report you think will have the biggest impact on the tech sector, which would that be? And I know that's that's a hard choice. I would. No, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty broad. I think, listen, I mean, say what you want, but Amazon the last two quarters has been fascinating. Ridiculous quarters, as in great quarters, and both times the stock traded 3,500-ish and failed miserably. I'm hard-pressed to believe that happens again, so my answer to that question would be Amazon. All right. Uh, thank you, Mike. Mike Coe for more Options Action. Be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Karen. Yeah, Morgan Stanley. We don't talk that much about it, but I like the change of the business model over the last few years. It's really working. So they're not a bank. They're banking and asset management and gravitationally pulled toward 100, I think. Guy. Gravitationally pulled to a new all-time high will be McDonald's in their earnings on Wednesday. Tim. Love those golden arches. I love international paper into earnings on Thursday also. Again, we've talked about lumber prices. Paper prices have actually held some of those margins, and I think the company's better run than ever. Dan. Uh, yeah, so Intel talked about manufacturing for the world in 2025. Taiwan Semi's doing it right now. Thanks for watching Fast. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.